Please turn with me in your Bibles to the letter of Paul to Titus. Pastor Bailey's preaching through the Gospel of John. And the Gospel of John was written so that we would believe. I'm so thankful that we get the joy of hearing preaching through the Gospel of John. I preached one sermon from Titus. We covered the first four verses of chapter 1 last time. And now we'll be covering verses 5 through 9, where we'll read about the qualifications for elders in Christ's church. First and Second Timothy and Titus, these are pastoral epistles written to particular men who were pastors, to Timothy, to Titus, and Paul gave them very particular charges. But these letters are for us today, and they are for us here this morning. And Christ's church needs to hear from this portion of God's word this morning. So Paul gives a charge to Titus, we covered last time. Complete the work that has already been started in Crete. The charge is to establish elders in every city. Men of Christian faith, men of integrity, men who can teach, men who can shut down the false teachers... There are always false teachers in every generation. Why establish elders? Well, the Apostle Paul couldn't do the work all himself, could he? He had to establish faithful men who could carry on the work of the gospel in the cities where he preached. And thank God that Paul set up other men, and those men have set up other men, and those men have prayed over and ordained other elders down through the ages. Otherwise, where would we be here? We wouldn't be here this morning, right? Paul left Titus in Crete to appoint elders in every city. So in our passage this morning, Paul lists the qualifications for elders. There are 13 positive qualifications. He must be this way. And six negative. He must not be this way. Why elders? Well, before we read our passage, look at verse 10. Why must we have elders? For there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision. The Apostle Paul is very detailed as he describes these rebellious men. And then he tells Titus how to deal with them. And now we read about the qualifications for elders. It's funny, I asked my kids last night, So, tomorrow I'll be preaching about qualifications for elders. What must a man's life look like to be an elder? So, Adelaide gives the Sunday school answer, well, he must be godly, must love his family. Max, we're reading, uh, I'm reading The Hobbit to the kids at night, and Max said, they can't be goblins. It's It's a good point, right? If you're a goblin, you are disqualified for the office of elder anyway. Love kids. So please, please stand for the reading of God's word. This is the word of the Lord, and it is eternally true. Titus 1, 5 through 9. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains, and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Namely, if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion, for the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, 
not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. So qualifications for elders. You look through this list and you think, if you aspire to the office of elder, wow, do I meet any of these qualifications, let alone some of them, let alone some of them well. On the other hand, some of us say, well, some of those qualifications, I have a corner on the market on that qualification. I mean, the other ones, well, we aren't going to talk about those right now. I mean, if the list was pared down just to two or three, I would be the greatest elder that East Cincinnati's ever seen. So I'm sure I've told some of you, early in the pastor's college, this was 2009 maybe, I was pulled aside by one of the older pastors. Well, during, during lunch, uh, he said, some of you men aren't going to make it. You're not going to be pastors. You're not going to be elders. And so I asked the man after lunch, and I said, were you, were you talking about me? And he's nodding his head. He's like, oh, no, this is terrible. And I said, well, well, why? Tell me so I can grow. And he said, well, Paul, you lack compassion on others. You lack compassion. And I'm just listening to him right then, but inside I'm thinking, compassion? Of all the other things you could have said I don't have, compassion is the one thing I think I did have. But he was right especially at that time, and I still need to grow in compassion, especially with my children. But he was an older, wiser pastor. And to have compassion on sinners means you need to enter into their pain. You need to enter into their situation. It's easy for a young man to go around acting like he has a hammer, and every problem is a nail, and he's just whack-a-mole, you know. That's not compassion. That's just a young, proud man who needs to know when to shut his mouth, right? To have compassion means to actually listen to people, know the situation they're in, and then apply God's Word in a loving way, not lording it over people. So some men think to themselves, maybe sitting here among us, Oh, I should be an elder. I should definitely be an elder without thinking about the weight of these qualifications. We're going to read a couple other passages, what it takes to be an elder. And if you don't read these and the weight falls on you, take warning. And another type of man, maybe sitting here among us, says, Oh, I could never meet any of those qualifications. In other words, I'm not even going to try. You young men, think about this list. You might read it and think, oh, never. Not even when I'm a man. A man who says that is very lazy. 
I'm not going to meet these qualifications, so I'm not even going to try. That's lazy, and that's not faith. Walk by faith. And I don't know which type of man is worse. I don't know which type of man is more unqualified. The man who thinks, I meet all these qualifications to a T. He might be worse. But the other man who says, well, I'm never going to meet any of these. I may as well just crawl in a cave and die. Why was I even born anyway? That's a bad, that's a bad leader, too. That man cannot lead. At least the other man, man leads, even if he's an absolute jerk about it. Both are bad. But it is good for you men to aspire to the office of elder. You young men, look at this list. All Christian men, these qualifications should describe the life that you actually live when you're at home, when you're at work, whether you're an elder or not. These qualifications should describe your actual life. So look at verse 5. For this reason, the Apostle Paul writes, I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. The apostles were assigned the task of spreading the gospel to the whole world. They were able men because Christ gave them his Holy Spirit to make them able for the work. And so, when the apostles went on to other places, Paul couldn't stay in Crete. He needed to set up men like Titus who were able, who could then turn and appoint other elders, men who were able for the work. It's heavy, heavy work to lead the church. In other words, they couldn't just choose any man. They couldn't just choose Bob who walks in. Hey, you look like an elder. Let's set you up. Can you imagine if the Apostle Paul just chose any man to take over the work of the gospel in Crete? The church would not have lasted long. Or if it did, it wouldn't have been a biblical church. It would be a wicked church, a synagogue of Satan, as Scripture says it. And today... We live in a time when men, some men simply try to take their own authority, exercise their own authority, and their ambition. There are many men who are very ambitious. So today it is so, so important the work to carefully choose men, which men will be elders in the church. Elders cannot just be any man chosen willy-nilly, Richard Baxter, Richard Baxter, some of you have read the Reformed Pastor. He says, I find this is the chief trouble in the church, that so many men become pastors before they are even Christians. And that's in Richard Baxter's time. Hundreds of years ago, when the church looked like it was flourishing, And so he says there are so many pastors out there who aren't even Christians. One of the greatest and easiest ways to destroy a church, this church included, is to appoint elders hastily. You want elders. You want to appoint elders right away. You want men to help shoulder the work with you. But if you do it hastily, you're in for trouble. And so it takes time. It takes prayer. Detrimental to the church to appoint men as elders who have no business being elders. 
It's detrimental to the entire church to put men in authority who should not be. Think about how carefully a company chooses employees. So you own a company. Would you just grab Bob Roy off the street and say, hey, you look like good workers? Think about how carefully, how much money is put into hiring the right employees. Why? Well, if you run a business, if you manage... If you hire the wrong people, they're going to cost your company a lot of money, and they might make the company go down in the long run. Think about how carefully a woman chooses a husband, at least a wise woman, how carefully she thinks about him. If you kids play a pickup football game, do you just choose any kid? I don't know. Are we too sensitive today to like do the picking-choosing thing? I want that guy who's big and tall... That guy who's really fast? We, we choose things carefully. How much more elders who will lead the church? Trust me, you want it to be chosen carefully, prayerfully. Men examined by God's word. By the way, why do I keep saying man and men as an elder? Or rather, why did the Apostle Paul write it? Was it because he was a chauvinist, patriarch, holding women under his thumb. Well, obviously, Apostle Paul wasn't that. But thankfully, it was a cultural thing then. At that point in history, long time ago, men should be elders, but we've evolved beyond that now, right? Well, the PCA is starting to think so. If you're tracking with what's going on, with their study committee on women in ministry, if you're reading, if you read the blog, the Apostle Paul writes, if any man, who can be an elder? Can just anybody be an elder? First things first, he must be a Christian man. The Bible is clear and unambiguous about this. And ladies, we're going to get to specific commands to you when we reach Titus 2, and those are good commands that God has given to women, work to do. But right now we're dealing with elders specifically at this part of the passage, men set apart by God. But how many times, maybe you know marriages, or maybe even you know a pastor. You heard the saying, The rooster rules the roost, and the hen rules the rooster. So you know Barney Fife? Well, you have a man who is full of authority, but we aren't dumb. You know some marriages, and even some pastors. It's clear who's running the show, and that is the queen hen, right? He makes a show of being the one in authority, We live in an egalitarian day. Egalitarian. So what were the three cries of the French Revolution? Anyone know? You can shout them out. The three cries of the French Revolution. Liberty. Equality. And fraternity. That's right. But equality. There's nothing we hear more about today or see more on bumper stickers, or see more when we read another article, equality, equality, equality. Are men and women the same? 
there are some things that are true of both men and women. And there are some things that are very different about men and women. Praise God for that. That he made man and woman. What a wonderful diversity. Our culture screams diversity, diversity, diversity. There ain't nothing more diverse than a man and a woman coming together in holy matrimony. How boring if we were all the same, if we were one automaton, every single one of us. It'd be lame. Ladies, would any of you like the task of bearing the responsibility, leadership, and discipline of this church? Women tend to promote relationships over truth. If you want to argue about any of these points with me, I'm happy to talk afterward. Women tend to promote relationships over truth. And that's a good thing, but not in the leadership and discipline of the church. And it's dangerous when a man does that, and he is an elder. Because in our touchy-feely, pathetic day, men often promote relationships over truth as well. We often do the same. The Apostle Paul took the work very seriously. He didn't just choose men over, well, Roy, he really wants to be an elder, and I don't want to hurt his feelings. Can you imagine? That's not the Apostle Paul. Men who were truly servants of the people and fought, bled, and died for the sake of the sheep. Men who were like Jesus Christ their Lord. They loved the sheep. They loved their Lord Jesus Christ. So listen to another section on qualifications for elders. Listen to 1 Timothy 2. Or rather, I'll, I will get to that later. This is what the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Timothy 2 about women and men and authority. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created, and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman, being deceived, fell into transgression. But women will be preserved through the bearing of children, if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. That was the uh, leading passage that was all over the study committee on women in ministry in the PCA, right? Hardly. But in other words, the Apostle Paul is writing, in the Garden of Eden, before the fall, before sin was in the world, Adam was created first, and Eve had been deceived. This was in the Garden. And God has written his fatherhood in all of creation. He's written his fatherhood all throughout his word. And that is no mistake. This is how God has set up his word and his world. Adam was our federal head. In him we all sinned and died. And in the same way, Jesus Christ, the new Adam, we are made alive in him. God the Father has written His fatherhood through all of His creation. How does the Lord's Prayer go? Our Father. That's right, kids. Good job. 
pray to God as Father. Now, a couple things. It is true that women lead. And again, we'll look at Titus 2 when we get there. It's also true that wives have authority over their husband's body. Where would husbands be without that authority, right? That's a good thing. Women have authority with the women and the children of the church, and that's a great task, a great burden. The men could not handle all that work. So praise God for you women who shoulder that responsibility every week, every day. But God has put the responsibility of leading the whole church. He's given that responsibility in a unique way on the shoulders of the men, qualified men. And this is a good thing. So some of you now might be thinking of men who had authority in your life, but who abused that authority. For some, that might be the experience. It's wicked, wicked for those in authority to abuse their authority. And everybody who is abusive with their authority will be judged for it by the perfect judge, and that's Christ. However, the improper use of a tool doesn't invalidate its proper use. So just because a man one time or men at some time abuse their authority, therefore no men should ever exercise any authority ever again, it's ridiculous, right? But there's another trap you can fall into. If you've been abused by a man in authority, you can fall into the trap of judging every man you ever meet and ultimately judging God through the lens of that man who was abusive in his authority. Don't let the sins of one man or multiple men distort your view of God. Instead, see all fatherhood whether good or abusive, bring that in submission to your perfect Heavenly Father who's always good, never abusive. Now, He will give you hard things like any good father will, and He'll give you His Spirit to help you too. Now, having said all that, before a man is given leadership in the church as an elder, he must meet very specific qualifications. And as we work through this list, first, you cannot lead the church of God if you are not a Christian. Because if you look at this list, you cannot grin and bear it somewhere deep inside your heart. Live this way. It's impossible apart from being a Christian and the quickening of the Holy Spirit. But Baxter said, so many men grow to be leaders in the church. They're put in leadership positions when they aren't even Christians. So verse 5, let's dive in. If any man is above reproach. I hope I've built up the weight of it enough for you so that now you read, if any man is above reproach, at least in part you say, well then... What man is qualified? Above reproach. Speaking generally of the man, 
he is above reproach. Is this man absolutely without fault and sin? Of course not. Nobody is sinless. But he is unaccused of scandal. He knows that his office is a holy office, so he carries himself with holiness, not just in front of other people when other people are watching, but in his home behind closed doors. He is above reproach, not simply in what he says, but he is above reproach in how he actually lives. But listen, we in this church, we men, are tempted, as I go through this list, we're tempted to keep the outside of the cup clean. Anybody out there tempted to be a Pharisee? Not in a Reformed church, right? We're so tempted to keep the outside of the cup clean. Think about leading your children. It's so easy to get conformity from them. Well, it's not easy, but it's easier. A man cannot live like this list without the Holy Spirit if he's only keeping the outside of the cup clean. You know Jesus' warnings. You whitewash the tombs, but inside they're full of dead men's bones. The Pharisees, right? A formal religion that looks good to the world. God is not fooled. Cleaning the outside of the cup, but inside wicked and dirty, full of sin. Elders being above reproach and all of the other qualifications... It would be easy to just give the outward appearance of being beyond reproach. But, at home, you neglect your family. Or at home, you live a life of sin that has not been confessed. It'd be easy to become an elder, the outside of the cup is clean, but inside your heart is wicked. Scripture says that a man should be of good reputation. But it also says, be wary if all men speak well of you. We're not just looking for a nice man. An upstanding man looks good, he dresses the part, His teeth are white, breath smells good. We're not looking for a nice man. Ted Bundy was a nice man. On the the outside, he looked nice. What's the condition of your home, your family, your private time, your devotion to God? How are you when no one else is watching? To do righteousness and justice is desired by the Lord more than sacrifice. I've been talking with my kids about this recently. We want to offer sacrifices. Just like Saul, been reading through 1 Samuel, and was it for King Saul to offer the sacrifice? No, he was to wait for Samuel. And Saul makes a big show of obeying. Kids, Maybe this has described you at one point in your life. You make a big show. Oh, mom and dad, I did obey you. Saul, I did 
wipe out everything, all the animals and people like you told me to. And Samuel comes on the scene. What's, the, what's this I hear? The bleeding of the sheep. Or I guess those are two different, two different times when Saul just absolutely disobeyed. Wipe everything out, but he kept, some of the, he kept some of the animals for the sacrifices. It's a noble cause, right? The elder is above reproach. The husband of one wife. We've seen in general what this man is supposed to be like. Now the Apostle Paul gets more particular. This man is pure. He is devoted to his one wife. And he is faithful to her. His wife is like a garden to him that he tends and cultivates. And it sprouts fruit. Does anyone know the Roman Catholic policy here? The husband of no wife is what priests are to be. And that is wicked and has caused all kinds of awful sin in the Roman Catholic synagogue of Satan, as Scripture says it. They're wrong to prevent and forbid marriage to a man who isn't called to singleness. It's simply unchristian. A pastor does not need to be married, but he will probably be married. Celibacy is a very, very rare gift. It's a good gift, but a rare one. But he has one wife. He's no bigamist. He's not a Mormon. We had uh, Sister Saunders and Sister Kitchen. These were their names, at least what they said their names were. In Indianapolis, the kids were at the park, and these two Mormon sisters, so-called, Saunders and Kitchen, accosted Jessica and the kids in the park. I said, have them over for dinner. So we have them over for dinner, and it was nice for a little bit. And I said, so you ladies like straightforward conversation, right? So do you look forward to sharing your husbands with other wives? And the head lady's like, well, we don't believe in that. It's like, well, that's good. You're a critical thinker because the leader of your cult did believe in that. And so do many of the men who are in your cult right now. And she was pretty shaken. Her uh, protege or whatever, the second woman, was a little more feisty. I don't know what she was trying to prove, but... He is a one-woman man. The Apostle Paul goes on. He has children who believe. Why is it important for elders to have children who believe? 1 Timothy 3. Here, here are the other qualifications in 1 Timothy 3. You can turn there if you want. 1 Timothy 3. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer, then, must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well. Pay attention, men and young men. He must be one who manages his own household well keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, 
how will he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert, so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church, so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. So a man must manage his own household well. If you cannot control your own children, you're going to lead all these sinners? You see, God gives you so much responsibility, like the parable of the talents. If you're faithful with that, he'll give you more. Be sure of it. If you're, if you're a good employee, we have some really good employees. You know how this, how this works. You do well at a certain job, congratulations. Here's more responsibility. You're always like, oh, no, I wasn't asking for that. I thought I'd get a break after this. A man manages his own household well. He leads and loves his wife and children. Then, when he's proven that, he can lead the wider church of God. Doug Wilson has a book cover, How to Exasperate Your Wife. Has anyone seen this? How to Exasperate Your Wife. I have some smiles and some nods. It's a picture of a man in like a Speedo, like a Tarzan little Speedo with one one foot up on the couch, a remote in his hand, and he's belching forth some command like he has a big beer belly. How to exasperate your wife. Obviously, he's being tongue-in-cheek. But that is so wicked. That is so wicked. That has no place in the home of a Christian household for a Christian man. The picture is ridiculous, but... Just sear that picture into your mind. If your men are honest, sometimes that, that's you at home with your wife and children. Minus the Tarzan Speedo, hopefully. But seriously, you lose your temper when you should not. Okay, that's not you, men. But it's me. And I've told you before, often when I lose my temper, it's because I failed to do the work previously. I'm doing some oh-so-important work when I hear the kids fighting a little bit in the other room. I know what's coming. I know I need to get up, go over there and do the work, but I'm doing really important work right now, the work that matters, you understand. And then suddenly they reach a volume that I simply cannot put up with anymore, and then I explode with furious rage. That's not leadership. That's not leadership. You've got to cut them off at the pass. You've got to know your kids well enough. You, ha- you need to know your kids well enough that you know their sins. You know what they're going to say and do better than they do. And some of us men are blind to the sins of some of our children. But we can see, okay, how this normally works is a father can see the sins of the son, the sins who are just like his, right? And so often a man is so rigorous with the boy who's just like dad, but kind of blind to the sins of the sons or daughters who have different sins. So men and mothers, look out for that. It's very, it's very easy to do, to look at some sins of your kids and overlook other sins. But that's not leadership, to blow up in furious anger when you haven't done the work ahead of time you need to do. And Therese, my mother-in-law, 
You can't hide anything when your mother-in-law lives in the home. She'll tell you times when I've lost my anger. And Therese, any of you who have talked with her, she'll give it to you straight. Like, we struggled with the potty training of Moses. And I was losing my temper with him. And I was exasperating Moses. She came in, you will not. It was helpful. Appreciated it. The, The pot was boiling over at that point, you understand. So there are some gifts. There are some uh, good things to have in your mother-in-law live with you. Other struggles, you understand. We'll tell you other stories, but that's not fitting for this particular moment. But Therese can also tell you times when she has seen me confess my sins to my wife and children. I should not have been angry. Kids, that was sin in dad. Do you forgive me? And that leads your kids to repentance and faith in Jesus. For a husband to exasperate his family is wicked. Your ears must be open to your wife. And she must have a voice to say when she is exasperated or exhausted. Give her that voice. She must be able to speak up. A godly man has taught his family about Christ. His children know true Christian faith and practice. And again, throughout this sermon, it's so easy to have our kids outside of the cup. Looks clean. It's the right answer. Get at their hearts. Get at the hearts of your children. Because folly and sin is bound up in those hearts. How can we have children who believe in Christ if we do not believe? We must believe. Again, that's why I'm so thankful Pastor Bailey's preaching through the Gospel of John so that we will believe. The Apostle Paul goes on. He's not accused of dissipation or rebellion. The elder is not just above reproach. His family is also above reproach. His wife and children are godly. They're honorable. A man's family isn't just godly. It doesn't just happen. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit through the blood, sweat, and tears work day in, day out of repentance and faith in Jesus. Verse 7, not quick-tempered. An impatient man is not fit to govern In the church, if he's not confessing it and repenting of it, that is. We want men who will go for it, sure. But he's not flying off the handle over the smallest little things. Ephesians 5.18, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Those of you men who are tempted to be drunk, Aren't those two opposite things, being full of alcohol or drugs? You know we live in a hotbed. We live in a capital of drug heroin epidemic right here in Cincinnati. To be alcohol and drug-filled versus being spirit-filled, they are two opposite things. So now some positive qualifications. In verse 8, he's hospitable. His home is open. His home is open to the beautiful people who dress nice and who smell good. And his home is open to the people 
who are not like that, who smell bad, who don't have proper manners, who cannot return the favor back to you. You understand? His home is open to the least of these. He's not pugnacious. He's not fond of sordid gain. What does that mean, fond of sordid gain? He doesn't take bribes. He's not in it for the money. And this is important because I have a customer, Craig, at Interstate Batteries. I invite him to church every time I see him. He's a Christian. He has a wife and a couple boys. But he grew up as a missionary kid in Mexico. And he idolizes his dad and mom. It sounds like they did many things well. But he is so cynical and burnt out on rich churches in America who are run like a business. You understand. He is just burnt out. And so I always bring him back to, well, what about but, but you, Craig, but your marriage, but your children? And he is so cynical. He'll say, you know, I should just stop my business and just build a, build a church right here. I'd make a lot more money. Just so cynical. And so elders must be not men, must not be men who are fond of sordid gain. Okay, we've covered the man's personal life. He's godly. Now we see, coming to an end here, that his doctrine is godly. An elder must have a godly life, but also godly doctrine. Why? Again, look at verse 10. For there are many rebellious men, empty talkers, talking heads, and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision. That is the why. Verse 11, he continues, Who must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. And a godly man must have good doctrine. The Apostle Paul is commanding Timothy to fight the good fight. In verse 9, he goes on, he holds fast the faithful word. He keeps the faith with a good conscience. Paul calls out deceivers and empty talkers in 1 Timothy. Some men have rejected, suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander. Watch out for these guys. Whom I have handed over to Satan so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. It's intense from the Apostle Paul. Wicked men and blasphemers, blasphemers are bold in their sin. And so are we to be timid, men. Are we to be timid? We speak truth. There are wolves, and if the wolves run around, they'll eat the sheep. Unless the sheepdog comes along, or the shepherd beats back the wolves. Indulge me in an anecdote. Last night, I was at Pizza Hut. We had a long day traveling to Nashville, Indiana, and back. So we got pizza down at Pizza Hut. It was delicious. I'm not getting paid for this. This is not an advertisement. But some guy, some big, fat, 50-year-old, slovenly guy comes in cursing at the lady behind the register. There's a woman who can't eat now because of you cussing at her. Because the lady, the employee, wouldn't take the guy's credit card over the phone. Well, you're not allowed to. What if it's a stolen card? It's just company policy. Anyway, he's 
What is he demanding? I'm not leaving until you give me a gift card. He's being ridiculous. Exactly. He's being ridiculous. He's being a little child. He should have been disciplined when he was growing up because obviously dad and mom failed somewhere. Anyway, I turned to the lady and I said, I'm sorry he said that to you. He's like, I demand a manager. And she said, well, our regional manager is right behind you. So the guy's being very politically correct, explaining, well, we can't take the card over the phone, this, that, and the other thing. And it's one of those times, men, you need to stand up and say something. you got to help out the guy, the regional manager. you got to salve the lady who just got browbeaten verbally. So I go to leave my pizza, and I tell him, and sir, you do not talk to a lady like that. And he says, it's none of your business. And so part of good customer service isn't to just serve, oh, yeah, anything you want. Part of good customer service is you rise to the, if you have an, if you have an aggressive customer who comes in, you must rise to their occasion. So I raised him. He raised me. It's none of your business. Yes, it is my business. You don't talk to a lady like that. Am I right? You don't talk to a lady like that. And so he stops, and he kind of look, kind of sizes me up, says, whatever. And anyway, as I left, he was leaving. But why do, I, why do I bring that up? It's one of the few times that you say what you need to say, you understand. But in the church, there are things that need to be called out. Shame on me if I leave that pizza store and don't say something. Because this is how cultures change. If that wicked wolf is allowed to come in, just follow the analogy, if that wolf is allowed to come in and devour the sheep, and no one defends the lady, no one stands beside the regional manager, well then that wolf is allowed to devour all the sheep. You need a shepherd to come in, you need a sheepdog to come in to drive the wolf back. There's a famous painting I don't know what it's called, but, it, but if it's probably of the unfaithful shepherd, something like that, where a shepherd is running away, staff in hand, hightailing it out of there, and you have a hill behind him with a bunch of sheep devouring, a bunch of wolves devouring the sheep, blood everywhere, the unfaithful shepherd. And so have that picture in your mind. And join me in praying that God will raise up elders here. Join me in praying that God would raise up men who fear God, who are Christians, who give God's yes and his no. Elders who are Christians, not just for everyone in the world to see, but when they're at home, when those who know them best and who love them see If I were to boil down this list, these qualifications, if you think you are more important than others, you are not fit to be an elder. It's not a proud man who confronts the jerk at the pizza store. It's actually a moment when he's being humble. You understand? And how often do we think 
well, I'm just more important. I'm above this individual. I'm more important than my kids or my wife. A man who thinks he is more important than others is not fit to be an elder. You must truly be a servant. And I know, I always have to give the caveat, not a servant leader who does only service and no leadership. But there's another ditch you can swing into. A leader who only slave driver leads and is not a servant. We aren't talking about drill sergeants here, you understand. Have command authority, but serve others as more important than yourselves. And I mean this by your actions. No man, would, no man here would say, I think I'm more important than others. But what do you prove with your actions? A good leader serves. That is strong, that is faithful, and that is loving. The Apostle Paul was humble. Titus was inferior to Paul, you understand. But Paul had to leave. And so what is he just going to say? Crete's going to fall apart without me? No, he had to set up Titus, who would set up other men to lead the church in Crete. Paul didn't say, well, I'm God's only gift to Crete, right? Titus has gifts. And so another thing with leadership, you want to raise men who are better than you. That's part of the point. You want to raise men who have gifts that are better than you. You want to pray for the kid, your children, that they won't have your sins. And one difficult, it's difficult to discipline our kids. Dads and moms, anyone had any tension in the home over the discipline of our children? It's difficult. So, mamas, let the dads fail in the right direction, Okay? It's difficult, particularly, I mean, with sons. A man, if he's thinking right, he sees his boys, and he wants to see his boys become men. And it's a painful process. Fathers, you want to raise your sons to be better than you. Mothers, you want to raise your daughters to be your betters. You don't want them to have your sins. And so if you think you're God's gift to the world in whatever your gifting is, then when you die, it's game over. We don't have those gifts in the world anymore. That's not how God operates. God gives gifts, and he takes them away. And if we're proud and think, wow, where would this community be without my gift of fill in the blank? If you're proud about it, God will take that gift away from you. And to the humble he gives more responsibility, just like the parable of the talents. He gives more gifts. Throughout church history, God has chosen men to be elders, to lead his church, and they meet these qualifications by the power of the Holy Spirit. So please continue to pray that God would see that through here at Christ Church. Please pray with me.